0: Well, good morning. good morning. That's a little warm there. Merry Christmas, y'all. Think about this. Today and tomorrow, millions and millions and millions of people are going to be gathering around. Many this morning celebrating. This baby that was born 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years later, we remember his name. 2,000 years later, we remember, many of us remember the town he was born in. Many of us remember. The circumstances surrounding it. Question for y'all How many of you know where your great great grandparent was born? Raise your hand if you know your great great grandparent. There's a few here. How many of you know where your great grandparent was born? A few more. And we're celebrating someone that was born 2,000 years ago. Why? Because this morning we're going to be looking at Matthew 1 and 2, and we're going to be talking about confidence in God's plan because this God that we serve proved himself that he is God, my friends. We don't worship a fairy tale. You hear that? We don't worship a fairy tale. We don't worship anything of a figment of our imagination. We don't worship anybody who just does a checklist of if you're naughty or nice. We worship the king of kings And Lord of Lords. And this morning as we are gathering here, I want to start this morning with a question that I have for you. And this question that I want to start with is this. Why are you here? Why are you here? Now, yes, I'm asking why in this building, but even the age-old question of why do we exist? What brought you here to this circumstance this morning where you're sitting here with your family or you're sitting here with your friends? What brought you, through time, brought you here? Jesus Christ. Christ. But what in your life built into that? In 1951, Down in this town called West Frankfurt, this group of men, they worked in this coal mine called the Oriental Coal Mine. About 250 men on December 21st, December 21st, 1951, were working the last shift, third shift before the Christmas break. Two different shafts they went down. 133 went down one shaft. 120 went down another shaft. A couple hours into this shift, there was a massive explosion. The shaft shaft with 133 had no problem because they weren't where the explosion was, but they got out. The shaft where there was 120, they were stuck, buried. Way underground. December 21st, 1951. They gathered in several hundred diggers and miners to get tied to get down to these people. And as they started finding people one by one, they were gone. They were down there for days. All is lost. Until on December twenty fourth, 1971, one man out of 120 were, was pulled out of a coal mine. That one man, while he was down there, he got into this little pocket where there was no methane gas. He wrote. He smoked cigarettes. He, Back then it was like a tin can with paper wrapping. He pulled out this paper wrapping wrote a goodbye note to his wife. Told them told her I love you. Put in his pocket. Prepared to die. That man was pulled out. The only one out of 120 people. Cecil Sanders my great-grandpa. That was down in West Frankfort, Illinois. Just a few years later, my mom was born. The whole family, grandpa, grandma, great-grandparents, and baby Jeannie Dillingham, because he didn't have that job anymore after that, They moved up to a little town called Sterling, Illinois, in Rock Falls, Illinois, where they met this other family called the Meekses at a church. And Randy and Jeannie Meeks grew up together, could not stand each other, but they fell in love. And that family had four kids, Aaron, Nathan, Susie, Seth. And through that process, through that domino effect, generations of kids will be born. And the reason why I share that story with you is because this morning we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to do basically a survey or an overview of just these two chapters But as we're going through these chapters, I really want us to process and try to get into the heart of what Matthew, the author of this book, was trying to communicate. You see, he was communicating this true storyline of who Jesus was. He was sharing the storyline where he's like, okay, for these Jews, my brother, my other brother and sister, and brother and sisters in Israel, for them to really grasp who Jesus is, they need to know the backstory of who he is. Because the backstory verifies, like is the papers, the credentials to verify that this life of Christ is really legit, just like the death and burial and resurrection verifies his deity, his birth and fulfilling the prophecies also verify his deity. And this morning, as we are looking through Matthew 1 and 2, we're going to be looking at several prophecies about God. We're going to be talking about confidence in God's plan, Jesus, the proof in the fig pudding. Who here has ever heard proof? The proof is in the pudding. Yeah, I just had that fig on there because it's a Christmas thing. (laughs) Many of you probably have heard the proof is in the pudding, but what does it mean? What it means is this. You could talk about how good this dessert is, but the proof is when you taste it. Right? Here's all the stuff that goes into it. It's all separate ingredients, but when it all comes together, that's when it's the good stuff. And here, we're going to look at several prophecies of Christ as we're reading Matthew 1 and 2 that verify and validate he is who he said he is. This morning, maybe you came in this room, and you're one of those people that said, I don't even know if I believe this junk, but my family kind of drugged me here. I'm glad you're here, because my hope is today that as we read through these prophecies that were written 600, 700, 800, 1,000, 2,000 years earlier, that we will sit back and go, oh my goodness, Like the odds of this actually happening are so crazy. This has to be true. You see, there was a study done not too long ago. There was a study about the prophecies of God the prophecies of the Old Testament referring to a messianic Messiah. It was by Peter Stoner of Westmont College. And in the Old Testament, there's over 450 prophecies about who Jesus is. Many, about a third, not nah, about a quarter, let me, let me correct that, about a quarter are not fully fulfilled yet because they're going to be fulfilled in his return. But of the fo- over 450 over 300 messianic prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, why am I telling you this? Because the statistical, the statistical probability, if I can say that right, statistical, everybody say t- statistical. There you go, you said it for me, thank you. That probability is this. The odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight are one. In ten to the seventeenth power. That's what his studies showed. The odds of Jesus fulfilling eight are one in ten to the seventeenth power, and that is one, comma seven zero 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 zero. I went back and did a, uh, you know. You never can trust Google fully. But I ask this question, how many people have lived? Now, Google is atheist. So they go back like years, really old earth, right? And even according to that, it's not this many people. He went on to say this, if you mark one of 10 tickets, place all the tickets in a hat, And thoroughly stir them, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one. His chance of getting the right ticket is 1 in 10. Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, lay them on the face of Texas, cover all the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly as over the whole state. Blindfold the man, tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, But he must pick up the one silver dollar that he has a special mark on it. What chance would he have getting that right? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man. From their day to the present time, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. You see, as we are studying the Word of God this morning, we're going to be looking at some prophecies and some backstory. And I want you guys with me as we're just reading through this. I want us to really be able to leave today with a confidence that Jesus is who he said he is. And so, if you don't mind... Matthew chapter one. Most of us just like to skip over this chapter. It's like a lot of begats." There's a song by Andrew Peterson called "The Begat Song." and it's a "So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat- so-and-so. Begat, and We're going to read through those. But these are really cool. And the reason why these are really cool is because we're going to see in this first chapter that God preserved and prepared the needed pedigree. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abram. As we jump into this, First thing I want us to really uh, look back on is this. And we're not going to pause in every single verse, I promise. We'd be here for a while today. But as you look at this, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. First thing Matthew is trying to get to us as readers is this. First of all, I'm going back to a covenant through Abraham and David. I'm drawing you back in this genealogy because this is crucial for us to understand. He is rightful heir to the throne of Israel. This idea of this is the genealogy, if you go back to the Greek, it says this. This is the beginning of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, now this is not the beginning, meaning... He has a beginning as a day one, day two, day three, but meaning this is his royal, earthly process. So let's keep reading. Verse two, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, the Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Let's pause for a second. As we start this process of these begats, I want to invite you to be along this process with me of asking this question, how did Jesus get where he was at? You see, here Matthew is drawing this royal lineage that he was rightful heir to the throne. But think about this journey. Abraham and Sarah, they weren't supposed to have children. And then God made this covenant with Abraham and said, guess what? Go to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. And he went to this land and made him a great nation. But here's the thing. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Can you imagine him being the golden child? Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob and Esau, remember those guys in the Old Testament? You see, Jacob was the secondborn, and he shouldn't have gotten the birthright for the inheritance, but through the lineage, through the process of even Jacob's deceit, Jacob was brought into the lineage of Christ. Jacob, the father of Judah, remember Jacob had 12 kids, or 12 boys, and this gets weird the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Here we start seeing an introduction into the genealogy that can almost feel like it has a hiccup. Because if you don't remember, back in Genesis, Tamar was actually Judah's daughter-in-law. Her husband died. Judah promised, I'll give you my youngest child, he never kept that promise. So Tamar tricked Judah and having relationships with him. Man, talk about soap opera here. And Perez. And Zara were born to Tamar. Heraz the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Medinadab, Medinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon. Now I ran through a bunch of names there because not every name has a story behind it that we know. But then you get to Salmon you're like, well, what's so special about Salmon? It's because it says, Salmon the, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Who is this guy? He was one of the two spies that went into the promised land. Live with me this faith journey that's happening from generation to generation. Solomon one of the two spies, hidden by this woman named Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth, a Moabite woman. Married off, her husband dies, her father-in-law dies, she follows her mother-in-law back to the land in Israel, catches herself in the field of this guy named Boaz, who ends up being what is known as a kinsman redeemer. A woman died without having children. Someone else in the family can marry her to carry on the family name. She, Ruth, married Boaz. They had Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of the king, King David. You see, in these first several verses here, we see this backstory of this covenant given to Abraham. God preserved and prepared. Now, we read back 4,000 years, back to when Abraham had the covenant given to him, and we're like, yeah, this is all great. We know the stories, Pastor Nate. But imagine being in this story that that was the covenant given to you. If you could look forward a couple hundred years to a thousand years to how many years, and there was a covenant given to you, and seeing this mess And yet, seeing God's hand weave his work and his will through all of it. Let's keep reading. This next section, we start seeing the royal. The first one section, Abraham, was all the Abrahamic covenant side. Now we're seeing the Davidic. So David was the follower of Solomon. Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah. Uriah's wife, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. David wasn't even supposed to be married to this woman, but she was brought into the genealogy. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abiah. Abiah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerome, Jerome, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, his brothers, at the time of the exile to Babylon. Here we see this period where there was this divinic covenant given to David that said, your kingdom will have an eternal reign. So the covenant given to Abraham, your lineage will be as great as the sea and the stars in the sky. The Davidic covenant, I will have someone who will reign on my throne for all eternity. But if you were to look at this, if you were to go back and read First and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles, you would sit there going, oh my goodness, what a jacked up mess. And God, through that jacked up mess, weaved his will. We keep reading. After the exile to Babylon, Jechaniah, the father of Jiltel, Jiltel the father of Zerball, Zerball the father of Abiathud, Abiathud the father of Elochim, Elakum the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zodak or Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now all this, and the reason why I wanted to read that this morning is because we need to understand God preserved and prepared the pedigree for Jesus' ownership of the Davidic throne. And you all thought your family was messed up. And yet, as messed up as it was, How beautiful to see God's hand in all of it. Now, here's a question for you. If you were trying to prove that Jesus was God to the Israelites, and you knew this nasty mess going on, would you include that if you were making it up? You wouldn't. You'd be like, oh, we're gonna put the happy kings in there and we're gonna ignore all the evil kings and we're gonna, we're not gonna talk about, we don't talk about Tamar. No. It's kind of like Bruno. You don't talk about Bruno? You don't talk about Tamar. I know that went over a lot of your heads. <laughs> it's a child movie, so it actually went under your heads because it's, you're way beyond that. But, Because it was truth, it was included. But as you look at this, I want to show a little twist. The father of the father of the father of, but verse 16, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was was, a mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. You see, one little twist here, it did not say Joseph was the father of Jesus, said so Mary was the mother of Jesus, and the reason why is because although Joseph was going to be married to Mary, we're going to talk about this in a minute. This was not his child, but he adopted him, and so we see that through the scripture. The prophesied must come, prophesied Messiah must come from Abraham and David to bless the world. But let's keep reading. You see, not only did God preserve and prepare the needed pedigree, but in a virgin God planted his deity. Let's look at Matthew 1, 18 through 20 and 23. And this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. But after he has considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jump down to verse 23. And there the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, here we see this introduction that Joseph... And his brain was supposed to, like, you know, be the father of the first child in this home. And he finds out that this young lady that he's betrothed to, that he's got this commitment covenant with, that before they even came together, before they put the seal on their marriage, before they had sexual relationship she was pregnant and joseph being a righteous man was like i have two paths like two paths i could take here i could either publicly disgrace her and have her stoned or i could do this quietly and i really care about her and so he planned on Kind of like putting her away quietly., "We'll just brush underneath the rug and have nothing to do with her." But it says that in a dream, this angel came to him and said, "Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." You see, this child was not from the seed of Adam, but was from God himself. Now, one thing I want to really clarify here, we are not talking a 50-50 identity. Like, you know, um, if you know my dad, Randy Meeks, I'm a lot like my dad. But if you know my mom, I'm actually kind of like my mom, too. If you look at me, I look more like my mom. The older I get, I look more like my dad. My personality is like my dad. All these things. But when you look at who Jesus was and who Jesus is, he doesn't have the seed of Joseph. See, God planted his deity in Mary. It says, and the Spirit or the Holy Spirit will conceive in her. So this child is 100% God and 100% man. And you've heard us use this term over the last couple weeks, hypostatic union. It is not lesser of one than the other. And here we see this is a fulfillment of a prophecy if, as we read verse twenty-three, the virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That virgin will conceive is in Isaiah seven fourteen, saying there's going to be a prophecy where there's someone who's going to be born of a virgin. You see, not only did God preserve and prepare the pedigree, but God placed with His deity Himself, Jesus. In the womb of Mary. But not only that, God's messenger declared what his name shall be. Let's look at verse 21 and 24 through 25. She will give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So when Jesus or when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary to be his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. If you were to go back to the book of Jeremiah, it says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David, a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is our name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. The name Jesus Christ means the Lord saves. He is fulfilling his sake. He's fulfilling his identity. You see, he was the prophesied Messiah with a specific name, but not only with a specific name, but the Messiah was prophesied to be born in a town of little prestige. Let's keep reading verses 1 through 6 of chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When the king Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, or the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means less among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. You see, as we look at this understanding, this little community, we need to understand that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, you might be going, what's so big deal about that? Well, Bethlehem was a town back then between 2,000 to 3,000. Okay? That would be like saying... He will be born in Fredonia. Love Fredonia, not knocking Fredonia. Okay? But imagine a prophecy 700 years earlier about someone being born in Fredonia. Oh, you little Fredonia, though you be small, the least of the towns out of you. And that is Bethlehem. Before that, yeah, King David was born in that region. And there was a couple of things that happened in that town, but it wasn't like some big, great town. It wasn't the capital. Jerusalem was the capital. It wasn't like it was some grand thing that everybody thinks, oh, this is wonderful. But God had a plan with that little town, And 700 years earlier, he said, Jesus was going to be born in this town. Now, as we're walking through this, I want to invite you to process this. Descendant of Abraham, descendant of David, that narrows down the lineage of all humanity. Born with a name, the Lord saves. That that, that, that narrows it down. Born in a little town. Bethlehem. narrows it down more. Let's keep reading. Because not only are we told it was born in a little town, we are also prophesied to Egypt the Messiah would flee. Then Herod called the magi secretly and found out from them exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him. Report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it st- stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then having been warned and dreamed not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now picture this with me. Many of us heard that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. You know, it's, it's that's probably not the way it was. The Magi actually refers to people who watch the stars, who are religious people. Um, they could have been leaders in their community from the Far East, but they weren't like the three, the three kings. Some people call them the three wise men. They were just like religious leaders, and they probably came in with a caravan of people because they heard through watching the stars and probably knowing prophecy that there was going to be in the town of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so they came into this town, and they go to Herod, and it's like, Herod, where is this this baby to be born? Now imagine if you were Herod, if you were like king of this region, you're like, baby to be born? What are you talking about? Yeah, he's king of the Jews. What you talking about? (laughs) So then he goes to his people and say, tell me about this. And they look at the old prophecies, yeah, this, this king of the Jews is supposed to be born in Bethlehem? And so, let's keep reading. So when they, that is, the, the, the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled that the Lord has said through the prophets, out of Egypt I called my son. You see here, Joseph in this dream was told, listen, take him, go, go to Egypt, go, run, you're going to be killed if you stay behind. And in verse 16, and when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under. You see, here it was prophesied back in Hosea that this Messiah would come out of Egypt. Now, I' start stacking these things with me together. Of Abraham, of David, born of a virgin, name that has the Lord saves, from Bethlehem, um, Oh yeah, from Egypt. You see, this Jesus family went to Egypt to escape Herod's slaughter. But by doing this, it starts giving verification and validation, like, or whoa, this this, this actually happened, and Jesus is who he said he is. Because here's the thing Jesus Christ is a very logical belief. He fulfills prophecies. Not only did he prophesy that the Messiah would flee out of Egypt, but not only that, but prophets also foretold that Ramah would weep. Let's keep reading here. Verse 17, Then what was said to the prophets of Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now you'd be like, well, Ramah, what's that got to do with this area? Picture this with me. I don't have the map up here, all right? But I got my hand. Y'all can see my hand, right? All right. Jerusalem. Middle of my palm right here. Maybe right across across that fingers right there. Just a couple miles south, Bethlehem. Just a few miles north of Jerusalem. within 10 to 12 miles a whole region and it says verse 16 and when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the magi he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity now follow along with me of Abraham of David born of a virgin with a name of Lord Saves. Um, what else we got in here? Oh yeah, from Bethlehem, um, which is a really small town. Um, oh yeah! And around his birth, tons of people, are, tons of little babies are going to die. But not only that, verse 19, and after Herod had died, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and Joseph and And Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go back there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled but was said through the prophets that he would be a Nazarene. Jesus also, being of Nazareth, fulfilled the prophecies of the old and told. If, if you were to hear this thought that someone was answer, fulfilled all of this, you'd be like, well, that's great. But then you go back and say, oh yeah, and these were talked about 600, 700, 800, 900, 1,000, and 2,000 years earlier. They prophesied all of this about Jesus. And it all came true. I mean, if Jesus never went to Egypt, that prophecy wouldn't have been fulfilled. If if there wasn't a census by Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed in a census, guess what? Joseph wouldn't have went to Bethlehem. If it wasn't for these wise men to come into Jerusalem and talk to Herod, there wouldn't be the slaughter. Think about all the things that had to happen for these prophecies to be fulfilled. And when Matthew was writing this, he was saying, listen, listen, I'm writing to tell you this because this is undeniable. If you don't want to believe who Jesus is, you are denying the most verifiable fact ever known to man. And friends, this morning as we come to celebrate the birth of our Savior, I want you to walk out of here with with two things. If you have not known Christ and you've had these doubts in your head, I want you to be able to look back and go, holy crud, this is awesome! Because Jesus is who he said he is. He didn't even do these things to himself. In God's sovereignty, these were things that were done to him as a baby. You know, we could conjure up these things of, Well, when Jesus was walking the earth, he could have like uh, told them, stab me instead of break my legs so the blood and water can flow out and, you know, to fulfill prophecy. No, but here's the thing. This was actually done to him. For Jesus to fulfill just eight prophecies, it's one in ten to the 17th power. He is he said he is and this morning we celebrate on Christmas Eve the God man Jesus Christ fully God fully man so my prayer is you walk out with either coming in with doubt but walking out with confidence but the other thing I want you to walk out with is a big view of God Big view of God. Because the God who orchestrated all of this did so, so his son would come to this earth as a baby, live a perfectly sinless 33 years on this earth, continue to fill more prophecies, die on the cross. And why did he die on the cross? As payment for your sin and my sin. You see, he came as this baby, but not to stay in the manger. If you're worshiping baby Jesus, that's wonderful, but I hope you worship the one who died and rose again. Because he's so much more than just the baby Jesus. He is the one who went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins, that if we put our trust in Him and him alone, we could be forgiven of all of our sins. That's really as simple as that. When you look at the story of God's work, and then you saw how He came down in human form through Mary, fully God, fully man, died on the cross for our sins. But not only did he die, he rose again. And that is why we can say he is risen. He is risen indeed, because he came as a baby. This morning I want to close with one last question. Why am I here? I want this to be personal to you. You see, remember I started this morning talking a little bit about Cecil Sanders and how God weaved a story that brought my family up north, that actually brought me to eventually, eventually to this room. And then eventually my kids are getting married off and stuff like that. And there's going to be whole new lines, right? But why are you here in this room right now? I believe it's because you're here to worship Jesus Christ and know him. And if you have any, any doubt of why you're here, just look back and say, God, you're weaving my story, and I'm here today to hear about Jesus. If you have any questions, I want to encourage you and invite you. Today, grab me. Grab Pastor Sid. We would love to confidently talk about Jesus. He is our God. He is our King. He is our Savior. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we just come before you and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And this morning, God, as we come together, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, who fulfilled prophecy, who in all standards is just about impossible to have fulfilled what he fulfilled. And yet, he did. Lord, this is amazing. And so this morning, we thank you for sending your son, and we thank you that we have life through your son, Jesus Christ. This morning and this afternoon, Lord, we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we walk with confidence, knowing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to you, the Father, but through him. He is our God, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together and worship our Savior.